Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come, settle in and warm your hands beside the campfire with me tonight. As I tell you of the night that the ancient Greek enchantress, Circe, finally visited us in nightfalls. Perhaps you are already well acquainted with the stars glittering in the night sky. Or... Perhaps you've yet to hear the stories scrawled across the night sky in clusters and constellations. Lean back, relax, and listen in tonight as I replay Circe's story of how the stars and constellations came to light the night sky. Before we begin... Here's a quick word from our sponsors who make this free content possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Just before I travel back down memory lane, perhaps it might be nice to take a moment to wind down and relax together. Come to a comfortable position and allow your eyes to close on the day for a final time. 
Let's draw a deep breath in together. Hold it for a moment. And exhale. Sighing out in relief as another long day draws to a close. Let your breath drift in ever so easily through your nose and out through your mouth. As day eases into night, allow your body to slow down. Enjoy the natural lengthening of your breath and lean into it, inhaling deeply and exhaling. Breathe in and allow that evening air to drift deeper and deeper still into your core. Exhaling, release the stress and strain of the day and the gentle tide of your breath. Breathing in, perhaps you can feel the heat of the campfire in nightfalls, warming your fingers and toes. Exhaling, maybe you can hear it crackling away gently too. Breathing in through your nose, smell the pine sap that sweetens the air around the clearing and exhale. Drawing a final deep breath in, feel the magic that lingers in the air in nightfalls, drifting into your body on your breath and settling somewhere deep within you, soothing you and helping you to settle in for a good night's sleep. As you exhale, and this evening's story begins. Devani, Lyra, Anwin and I had gathered together by the firelight that night to talk of plans for the future. I wanted to ensure the birds had a warm enough place to rest as the winter drew in. And Devani sought an audience with the magic of the falls to ask that it took care not to spill any more time about the clearing without telling us. Lest we find ourselves stumbling back through the centuries whenever we strayed from the campfire. There wasn't anything particularly bothersome about a little unexpected time travel. It was just that the five of us had dinner plans more often than not, and it simply wouldn't do to take a wrong turn back to 1853 and not make it back in time for tea. It was as Lyra tried to convince us that the best way to use the soil beyond the vegetable patch would be to plant a small vineyard. 
that I first heard splashing in the lake. Anwin, who had only recently begun to find her feet and spend more time on land, was easily won over by Lyra's plan to harvest the grapes at the end of summer, then squash them with our feet and bottle the wine together. No doubt the act of squashing grapes between one's toes seemed rather novel to Anwin, and like something she would very much like to be involved in. The splashing in the lake went on, but so taken were my friends with the idea of mulling wine over the campfire next Christmas, that as they did notice the noise beyond the beach, they paid it no heed. When I finally tore my attention away from Lyra's petition, I noticed Circe paddling across the lake. She moved through the water with an ease that eluded most people. But then I suppose Circe was unlike any being I had ever known. When she reached the edge of the lake, she hoisted herself up onto the rock jutting out into it and called over to us. I thought I might take you up on your invitation. I missed her meaning at first, but Devani seemed to catch the tail end of it, turning her attention to the ancient Greek enchantress who made her home in the world Anwin had built beneath the surface of the lake. It was lovely to see you and the nymphs the other night. Devani called down to the beach in greeting and in turn reminded me of our rowboat's maiden voyage a few weeks prior, where we had stumbled upon the group bathing in the moonlight, a little downstream from nightfalls. Devani rose from her stool beside the fire and wandered down to the lake. I followed her because I wanted to see Circe, of course but also because I was completely wrapped around Devani's finger by that point and would have followed her to the end of the earth if I thought she'd let me. Circe seemed to have surfaced alone, for there was none of the usual chatter that seemed to surround her as she travelled with the nymphs in her wake. Even as we rounded the beach and started up the rocks towards Circe, helping Lyra to keep her footing, the clearing was nothing but quiet. Nightfalls was always calm, always quiet. But that night, the clearing seemed almost awash with stillness. The skies were clear, the night air crisp, and moonlight silvered the surface of the lake. When Devani, Lyra, Otto, and I had finally reached the rock upon which our dear visitor was perched, Anwin dove deep 
into the lake and swam underwater out to meet us. Perhaps it was not to disturb the moonlight glazing the surface of the water. I'd scarcely seen Anwen greet anyone with such warmth as she did Circe. Their friendship seemed almost age old. As the night wore on, I began to think that perhaps Circe was the closest thing to a mother Anwen had ever known. Anwen was far older than I would ever be able to truly understand. So much so that I had always found it hard to imagine her young, without any knowledge of the world she found herself in, and with none of the answers I so often relied upon her for. Anwen's age and wisdom were not to be discounted, but I supposed Circe was as old as the stars perhaps even older than some of them. And though I couldn't pinpoint precisely when the pair had met, it seemed a fair assumption that their friendship had been formed centuries ago, when Anwen was much younger and had needed someone more than she might ever care to admit. There wasn't much about Circe's life that one couldn't read about in a book. Her story was one of the classics, a Greek myth that had survived the ages and been told over campfires, just like the one in Nightfalls, for thousands of years. I'd only read a little about the ancient enchantress, but... It had been enough to understand why perhaps she might have needed someone too. And why perhaps raising Anwen might have helped to heal her a good deal more than either of them realised. Circe was banished to the island of Aiaia for using her powers to transform a romantic rival into the creature Scylla. In her years alone on the island, it's said that she became an expert on all manner of herbs, plants, spices, and spells. If Lyra had known who Circe was that night, then I imagine it took a great deal of restraint for her not to quiz the demigod and the various uses of the wood sorrel and saxifrage she had found an abundance at the entrance to the caves that year. When it seemed as though Anwen and Circe were all caught up, and Otto had come to settle on Lyra's lap, Circe turned to face the moon. The clearing was quiet, save for the sound of Otto's breath as his chest rose and fell and he drifted in and out of slumber. I watched Circe in the relative quiet of that moment and found myself recalling what she'd said when I saw her downstream a few weeks prior 
basking in the moonlight. As her plans to ease into a life above land and grow accustomed to the feeling of starlight directly in her skin drifted back to me. I wondered how many hours of practice it had taken for her to be able to gaze up at the night sky as she did in that moment. The moonlight seemed almost to shine through Cersei. The edges of her were watery. Not to the same extent as the lines that painted out Hanwin. But it was clear that the thread of whatever fabric had been woven together to form her stored more water than the stuff that made for people like Lyra, Devani, and me. Just as moonlight danced upon the surface of the lake, it seemed to dance across Circe in the glass of her eyes across the soft panes of her face and over the back of her hands. When it seemed as though she was awash with the starlight itself, she asked, What do you call the constellations now? Lyra, who had long abandoned any attempt to impress those she crossed paths with, was the first to admit that she had never really made much of a study of the stars. I, too, knew the stars to look at, but I didn't know their story and hadn't the foggiest as to what particular constellations might be called or how I might go about locating them in the night sky. I suspected Devani knew a little more than Lyra and I did, for every now and then, as we drifted off to sleep on the beach together, she would point out Jupiter, the North Star, Orion, and the Big Dipper. I thought perhaps she might say something, but Circe's attention seemed already to have turned to the past, and I can't imagine I was the only one of us leaning in a little further and listening closer to hear what stories of the skies she might dredge out of the past for us. Circe cleared her throat and it was almost as though she was dusting off the cover of an old book, one that hadn't been cracked open in a millennium. Perhaps you don't use them for the same purposes anymore, she began. But when I was a little girl, what we thought we knew about the world, we learned from the night sky. Tonight has been in my stars and on my cards for centuries now. This moment, and a thousand others like it, have been foretold over the course of my lifetime. I've always found it a great comfort to know that from the moment you draw your first breath, the person you'll grow into and the things you will do are already laid out for you. Your story is already written. 
It has been scrawled across the night sky for centuries. The irony doesn't escape me that the twists and turns in life's path that seem always to take people by surprise have all been foretold in the stars. Make no mistake, your path was carved across the night sky long before you even knew what to call the moon or the stars. Back when we had nothing better to do but look up and wonder about the world. Back when we were first trying to form some sort of understanding of it all. People read your story in the stars. Whether or not you believe the stories I tell you about the stars, it's worth considering that when you already think your destiny to be preordained, you can relax into life a little more. I don't concern myself with where I'm headed anymore or worry over what people might think of me as I make my way there. The choices I make always seem to lead me to where I'm supposed to be. The things and people that are meant to come into my life always do in the end. Look at us now. This is a date that's been in the diary for almost 3,000 years. And here I am, having arrived on time, right where I'm supposed to be. Once again, Cersei paused, smiling up at the stars. That's over there, she began, drawing a deep breath in before she launched into her explanation. That constellation is for Andromeda. Andromeda was a beautiful noblewoman and there was a great deal of humility about her, despite having been born to the king and queen of Ethiopia. Humility wasn't something Andromeda's mother was particularly familiar with, however. The queen was renowned for being a terrible brag. The Ethiopian queen told anyone who would listen that her daughter Andromeda was the most beautiful woman in the world. More beautiful even than the water nymphs. Life was simpler back then, and idle minds were made for idle chatter. The sun had scarcely risen and set on Greece twice before news of what the queen said had reached the hallowed temples upon Mount Olympus. I think that's how the gods first heard tell of what Andromeda's mother had said. The gods rather resented the queen's sentiment, and Poseidon in particular, who was a tendency to be overly sensitive about the water nymphs, was irritated by what he had heard. The water god wanted to wreak havoc on the family's entire dynasty, 
and sent forth a sea monster to ravage the coastline. Andromeda's parents had been told they could stop the monster by sending their daughter to the ocean. And soon, Andromeda found herself standing on a rock out at sea. As the story goes, Perseus, a god with the gift of flight, spotted the princess on that rock out at sea and fell in love with her on sight. I'd assumed him fanciful for going against Poseidon and winning over Andromeda, but Perseus surprised me with what he said when I asked him about the moment he met Andromeda all those years ago. He said he had felt more in the moment their eyes first locked onto one another's than he had for anyone or anything in all the centuries he had endured before their meeting. Perseus knew the dangers that going against Poseidon posed, but he was willing to risk the wrath of the god. Ultimately, it was his heroism that won over the gods, who were ever fond of a good love story. The gods came to forgive Perseus, and in due course Andromeda. In honour of Perseus's bravery, they decided to immortalise the lover's story by placing their image among the stars. And so, over there, you have the Andromeda constellation. And to its left, you'll find Perseus' own constellation, his very own image among the stars, resting beside his love for all eternity. Circe was quiet for a time and gazed up at the night sky as though the stars were but old friends to her, ones she had missed a little more than she realised in all the years she spent living below the surface of the water. When she was ready, and not a moment sooner, the enchantress pointed to another cluster of glittering stars and said, We named that one after Pegasus. Pegasus was a winged horse that sprang from Medusa's neck after Perseus defeated her. I'm quite sure the horse is the only good thing to have ever come from the serpent-headed woman. It was when Bellerophon, a Greek hero who made a name for himself by defeating the feared Chimera, captured the winged horse for himself that he first fell out of favour with the gods. I never met Bellerophon, but I had heard that it was his intention to ride Pegasus all the way to Olympia. Everyone had, in Athens and even out on the islands in the farthest corners of Greece. News travelled just as fast back then. The world might not have been a few clicks away, but when there was nothing for people to do but talk, people tended to talk rather a lot indeed. 
in the chatter that carried out of the city and into the mountain villages, across the Aegean and over to the islands. It sounded as though Bellerophon was certain he had earned his place amongst the gods. Zeus, it transpired, was not in agreement. When the pair finally took flight towards Olympia one fateful night, Zeus, the god of gods, made Pegasus buck, and in doing so, the creature tossed a disgraced Bellerophon back down to earth to live out the rest of his days. As the dust settled around Bellerophon, and he set about gathering the tatters of his reputation. Zeus coaxed Pegasus into keeping his course and was there to meet the horse when he reached Olympia. It's said that Zeus stabled Pegasus next to his thunderbolts. I always thought it wise not to pay too much heed to the chatter that trickled down the mountains and into the villages when I was growing up. But that particular rumour, I came to believe. Years later, Pegasus carried those same thunderbolts into battle on his back for Zeus. And I think, had he not been so familiar with them, they might have made the horse too nervous to be of any use in battle. As a mark of respect for the animal, Zeus immortalized him among the stars. Pegasus's constellation is always easy to spot. My father used to point him out to me every now and again. All you have to do is find the Big Dipper, up over to Polaris, the North Star, and just to the right, and slightly below that, is the great square of the Pegasus constellation. It seemed as though Anwen might have heard Circe's stories before, for the twists and turns in the ancient Greek legends didn't seem to surprise her as much as they did Lyra, Devani, or me. I supposed in the years they spent building a life beneath the surface of the lake, the pair had spent a great deal of time making peace with the past, as the world above spun on without them. What about those ones? Lyra asked, craning her neck up to the night sky and pointing out a cluster of some of the brightest stars above us. That's Orion, Circe replied clearing her throat once more as her eyes ghosted across the night sky towards its brightest inhabitants. Orion was a giant, and a handsome one at that. He was the son of Poseidon and a famed hunter for the king of Chios. Orion acted despicably and was held to account for his actions being stripped of his ability to hunt. Years later, he petitioned the gods 
and they sent him to the palace of the rising sun, where my father Helios makes his home. Helios restored Orion's abilities. Most don't think that it was a kindness the giant deserved, but that's the story nonetheless. When they finally placed his image among the stars, the gods made sure to place the image of animals around him, for him to hunt across the night sky and into eternity. Beside him is Lepus, the rabbit, and Taurus, the bull. Orion was stung by a scorpion, and so the Scorpius constellation is set far away from Orion's own, in theory so that it can never hurt him again. According to myth and legend, the sun is simply the chariot that Helios, my father, charges across the sky each day. He sets off from his palace in the east and drives it across the sky to the western ocean where he sets it to rest every day. It's said that Helios sees all that the sun touches, and it certainly felt that way growing up. For my siblings and I scarcely got away with any of the mischief we thought we might have, though I can't quite face the heat of the sun yet. It's been rather nice to see my aunt again. Selene, my father's sister, is the goddess of the moon. She doesn't have a temple atop Mount Olympus like most of the gods. With the moon as her chariot, it was thought unnecessary given that, if the story speaks true, she's visible to all every night. Feels like a millennium has passed since I stood before her. But I remember Celine well. She was beautiful, ethereal even. A crown with a crescent moon atop of it was forever balanced on her head. And I always rather hoped that one day I might turn out just like her. Celine knew love in its truest sense, and cast even Zeus aside in order to devote herself to Endymion, a human shepherd. Selene is immortal, primordial, a true child of the Titans. The power she possesses is a rare one and is envied the world over. She has the ability to grant sleep and light the night. Celine has always had time at her beck and call, the clock hands seeming to turn at her every wish and whim. My aunt is ever-changing, morphing with the phases of the moon, night after night. When she fell in love with Endymion, she visited him every night and when she could no longer bear the thought of losing him to time. She offered to cast a spell on Endymion, 
that would put him into a deep sleep forever, so that he too would be immortal and unchanged by time. Perhaps the stars and constellations don't mean the same thing to people these days. But when I was a girl, we charted our lives by them and used them to explain away all the happenings and hurt in the world. She finished. Goodness, she said, coming to her feet. I've lingered for rather a long time tonight. The sun will soon be up, and I don't intend to seek an audience with Helios just yet. So I think it might be time for me to retire. Circe finished, tipping her face to the moon and saying, Good night, Celine, before she slipped back into the lake and disappeared. Anwen yawned lazily and followed Circe back into the depths of the lake. I helped Lyra clamber down the rocks and back onto the beach before she made her excuses and headed home to her cottage in the clearing below. I bundled a snoring Otto up into my arms and carried him along the beach a little to the spot Devani and I tended to rest our heads. As I stretched out beneath the night sky that night, I couldn't help but think that the stars looked a little different. For the first time, I felt as though I knew their story. I felt as though I knew the millions that had come before me and looked up at the night sky only to tell themselves the same stories Circe had told us that night. My eyes drifted closed, but the image of the night sky seemed almost etched into my mind as I drifted off to sleep that night.